0: The following programming is sponsored by Six Feet Over Under Productions. The views expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of this station, its management, or Beasley Media Group. Hello, everyone, and welcome mm-hmm. to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by like 25 We are thrilled to join you on WWDV 860 AM. Don't make me laugh on the holiday weekend at 97.5 HD2, a part of the Beasley Media Group, ready to help you move into the weekend talking about all the news in the world of sports. Do you want to try that again? No. Why not? Because we have a good guest on. and Why would you focus on my screw-up when we have (laughs) a legitimate good guest? Let's bring him on. Oh, uh, did he disappear? uh, He may have disappeared there for a second. We'll bring him back in one second when we get him on. Uh, Are you you hanging up on our guests over there? Oh, we got him. All right, so rather than look at my faults and flaws, let's bring on ESPN senior writer Don Van Natta. Don, thanks so much for the
1: time. How you doing, man?
0: Doing great. How you doing? Well, we're
1: fantastic. We're we're doing well, but Don, every year on this day, I have to listen to my co-host blather on about something, and I noticed in your tweets that you had to bring it up too. Bobby Bonilla Day. <laughs> <laughs> what what is it with all you guys that you are all obsessed with Bobby
0: Bonilla? Today? Don, I bring it up every year on text message, on the radio. It's like five years in a row now and drives him nuts.
1: I ignore him, I and then all of a sudden now we have a guest who's decided that he needs to tweet to the nation that Bobby Benilla got another million dollars today. Oh, that's an amazing contract, right now. I,
2: and I, I- yeah, and I I do it every year too. It's just because it's just so absurd. It's just you know, there's still, he's getting 13 more payments of a million dollars. He's still got 15 million dollars coming to him, and so. It's just fun. Look, I've been Mets fan since I was a kid, and the last time he wore a Mets uniform was 1999. He only had 20 hits that season, and it's a lot of money for a lot of nothing, and it's just fun every July 1st to take note of it, I think.
0: Well, Don, thanks for doing my <laughs> dirty work for the show. I'll leave that <laughs> one there. You know, so
1: happy Bobby Bonilla Day
0: to everyone are, out there. The rest of us are celebrating Bobby Bonilla Day and watching baseball. Here you're sitting down with the commissioner himself bringing out lots of news about the league, what was your impression overall? It was a wide-ranging, sort of two-part sit-down, it looked like. Can you give us the backstory?
2: Yeah, actually, it was longer than that. It started last summer. Uh, I visited with Manfred the first time in Iowa at the Field of Dreams game prior to that game and spent about a half an hour with him uh, and really made the pitch then to do a deep dive profile of him because I felt as a baseball fan that I really didn't know him. Uh, i know the caricature of manfred i know what a lot of fans think that he hates baseball and that he's doing everything he can in his power to destroy the game to ruin the game that he's bored by baseball you know i knew all the memes uh but i didn't really know the man and so i pitched this profile to him in iowa and he agreed to do it and i spent time with him in cooperstown in september a couple of hours with him uh the morning that derek jeter got inducted into the hall of fame and A lot of time prior to the lockout, uh, in October in his office during the playoffs, had long, you know, long discussions with him. And then it continued after the lockout was over, uh, in the spring with, uh, on camera interviews at City Field and also at MLB headquarters in Midtown. And I came away thinking that this is a guy, uh, who certainly has his heart in the right place. Um, I think he's misunderstood by a lot of fans. Uh, he's a gas machine. He's made mistakes, obviously, in some things that he said, particularly about the World Series trophy, uh, you know, in saying that the Astros uh, he was not going to take away the Astros World Series title in 2017 uh, or take away their World Series trophy. He called it a piece of metal, which players were outraged about, fans were outraged about, rightfully so. and Manfred told me that's a stupid thing he said. It's one of the worst things he's ever said publicly. and you know he falls on the sword pretty easily on things that he has said in the past that he probably should not have said. He is a lot more defensive and a lot more prickly about decisions he's made. And, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about him, and I laid him all out in this lengthy piece that was published this week on ESPN.com.
1: You know, Don, one of the things, as you were describing him, you can say that about almost every commissioner when they start their career as commissioner, maybe except for David Stern. Did you get the impression from him that he understands that and that he knows that he needs to grow into the role and that he kind of just needs to weather the storm and do his, put his head down and just kind of do his job?
2: Yeah, I do think so. Um, I, that's one of the things that surprised me. You know, I described when I first met him in Iowa, uh, I spent about 30 minutes with him uh, in this sort of conference room in that new ballpark that MLB built in Iowa prior to that Yankees-White Sox game, that incredible game that night at the, at the Field of Dreams. And he was so down-to-earth and funny and self-deprecating, self-effacing. And then I saw him at a press conference just a half an hour after that with Kevin Costner, and he was like a different person. He was very almost tense and coiled, uh, sitting next to Costner. This is a great day for baseball guys, and he's just like... He just it was a different person. So I think he's got issues in how he presents himself publicly. I think he's, he's in that defensive crouch because so often whenever he's talking to the press, they're coming after him, whether it's about the lockout, whether it's about him canceling opening day as he did back in March uh, down here in Jupiter, Florida. I, I'm, I live in Miami just up the road from me, and he smiled as he canceled opening day, and he got ki- killed and crucified for that, rightfully so. Uh, I think he acknowledges and is aware of that, and he knows that he's going to have to be a salesman uh, and almost an evangelist for his vision of baseball to come. And he wants to make revolutionary changes to the game to to speed up the pace of play. And I think he's going to have to bring his A-game in the way he sells that not only to players but to fans. And both of those constituencies – don't have a lot of love for him, don't have, you know, regard for him. So that's going to be the hard part, and that's the challenge that Manfred faces. And to answer your question, I think he does recognize that he's, that's a challenge for him and it's something he's going to really have to step up and do uh, in the coming months.
0: And it seems like he does listen to that criticism. You know, when you're a leader like that, you can't really have your ears as open and get so offended. You know, you asked him about the... Uh, criticism that he hates baseball, he he seems to get prickly about it. You can see his response. It's the most ridiculous thing among some fairly ridiculous things they say about me. Saoirse I hate the game. That one does rub me the wrong way. I have to tell you the truth. Can he adjust so that he doesn't take that criticism to where he's not willing to make decisions that he thinks are in the best interest of the game because he talks about how he has to make them so slow because there is such objection at times?
1: And to learn to laugh it off.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that, that's the thing that was sort of, you know, look, he's a very complicated guy. He's, he's very, very smart. He's a graduate of Cornell and Harvard Law School. Uh, you know, his whole career prior to becoming commissioner was as a labor lawyer, first as outside counsel to MLB, and then Bud Selig hired him in 1998. So he's been in the front office of Major League Baseball from 1998 until he got the job in 2014 and became commissioner in January 2015. And he's had to do a lot of the dirty work of the steroids era, those investigations, testify before Congress. He had to deal with the biogenesis thing. Um, I think that when I say it's complicated, I think that he's willing to sort of cop to the fact that he has said some things that he shouldn't have said and explain them and sometimes do it as I say in the piece, in a self-deprecating, self-effacing, almost in a sort of, in, in, in a way that you you smile and you go, okay, this guy's really down to earth. It's the stuff on his record, the things that he has done, going back to when he worked for Selig, as well as particularly his his non-punishment of the Astros players, where he does get prickly, he does get very, very defensive, and, um, you know, this is his legacy that we're talking about. And when I met with him in Iowa, he said, Leah, I don't want to rehash all this stuff. And I said, well, I'm interested in doing it. He still agreed to do this story with me, and, and to his credit, he answered all the questions but oftentimes didn't like where I was going. For instance, on the Astros, I said, you know, look, the Yankees and the Red Sox were stealing signs far earlier than 2017 and were caught. And we're given a slap on the wrist by you. The Yankees were only fined $100,000, a fine, by the way, we only found out about this past April. I asked them, I think, a question a lot of fans probably were wondering about a few years ago, and that is, if you had punished the Yankees and Red Sox much in a much more harsh way, would that have sent out a message to all the clubs? Hey, if you're going to do this, you're going to get hammered, and could it have possibly been a deterrent To the 2017 Astros. He hated that question. He had, he wanted no part of it. He said he didn't even agree with the question. He said, look, the Astros were on notice. Um, So yeah, he still can get very defensive and prickly uh, about questions about that, about some of his decisions. But on the things that he has said, the mistakes he's made verbally, the gaffes that he's made. He has talked to them and uh, has apologized for them, uh, admits they're wrong, and knows he's got to turn that part of his game around for sure.
1: Did you get the impression that he, that he has a passion for the game? I mean, sports is about passion. Most of the people that are in leadership roles have some level of passion. It's one of the things you don't – you do see the defensiveness, but you don't see a passion from him, and that may just be his personality. Do you get the impression that he loves the game, that he's, he's supposed to protect?
2: I do. So I, I really believe that that's a bunch of nonsense that, that Manfred doesn't love the game. I don't think he shows it in the way that maybe some fans want to see, uh, of him sitting there, you know, behind the dugout, uh, soaking up the beer and eating hot dogs and things like that. Um, I mean, I led the story with the question that many, many fans want to ask him themselves, do you hate baseball? And, and you know, as you guys said, his answer was quite prickly. He said, absolutely not. He said he fell in love with the game. His father was a Yankees fan. uh, Manfred grew up in upstate New York as a Yankees fan. He went to a game uh, on Old Timers Day weekend. He went to a couple games at Yankee Stadium when he was nine years old. He said he loved the game even more after that. I did ask him how much baseball he watches because I was curious. I found that question very. The,
0: I found that question very interesting, Don. When he tried to do the calculation yeah, in his head.
2: Yeah, he did this calculation in his head, and again, I, I think that sometimes Manfred is his worst enemy in the way he addresses these questions. Like if you were to ask Bud Selig that, perhaps, or maybe Fay Vincent, and say, "I watch it every day. I love. I can't. I can't get enough of watching the game." That would be the answer. Uh, you know, very blunt. I, I, I watch it every day. I try to watch it every day. He, he does the math and says, well, I watch it for at least four nights a week and uh, for a few hours. And I have it on in the afternoon, the MLB network. And if there's a game on in my office, I, I'll catch it there. I mean, what he doesn't say is he doesn't say he watches the game Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. So, he, so you, so you start wondering like, all right, you watch about 20 hours a week. I mean, there's diehard fans that wa- watch double that. Right. and, and so he doesn't do himself any favors with answers like that. But I do believe he loves the game. I, you know, I was in his office during the playoffs in October. We had a two-hour, more than that, two-and-a-half-hour meeting. And the playoffs were on, and he was watching. We were discussing the game. I think he really does genuinely love it. I don't think he communicates that love uh, in a way that satisfies fans and players. And, again, I think he's aware of that. and That's something I think he's working on as we speak.
0: You know, some of the criticism he gets comes from the potential to make rule changes around the game. And you you asked him about some of them. You asked him about the pitch clock, the elimination of the shift, which would be Jeff's favorite thing to have happen that he didn't really commit to, by (laughs) the way. Um, And the automatic balls and strikes. Can you talk about what he had to say in the area of rules changes for the league?
2: Well, one of the things that I thought uh, that Manfred did um, that I I was actually really gratified uh, at for as a journalist is he went much further with me about his vision for the game than he has with anybody else. Um, He told me he is fully in support of the pitch clock uh, and the elimination, of the shift, both of those changes he wants to see next year. Uh, Under the new CBA, the competition committee is basically tilted toward the owners. So uh, even if players uh, are against it, and I know a lot of players are against particularly the pitch clock, uh being introduced to mlb it doesn't matter so i think we're going to see the pitch clock and the elimination of the shift next year manfred wants it um he describes the pitch clock as being critical to increasing uh the crispness of crispness of the game uh and um you know they want to shave 20 to 30 minutes off the game right now the average baseball game this season is three hours and five minutes. The ideal time, uh, for the executives at MLB, including Manfred, is about two hours thirty, two hours and thirty-five minutes. That was the average length of time back in the sixties and seventies. Interestingly, that game that Manfred, the first game Manfred saw at Yankee Stadium was two hours and thirty-four minutes. That's the ideal time. And of course, that was in 1968, but that's the <laughs> ideal length of time. I mean, right. I mean, he's trying to bring the game back that far, right? But that's the ideal length of time that, that, um, Manfred wants to see it, see the game. In the minors, they've tested this for years in the minors guys and and it's the pitch clock to explain to your listeners it's fourteen seconds. a pitcher has fourteen seconds with no runners on base to 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 pitch It's not a lot of time. If you watch baseball now it's twenty the, the average is twenty four seconds, so you're shaving ten seconds. Off of between pitches when nobody's on base, and then with runners on base, it's 18 to 19 seconds. Um, and with runners on base, I think the average goes up to like 30 seconds. So you're, you're shaving off a significant amount of time with the pitch clock. On the robot robot umpires, Manfred wants that in 2024. He told me um, there's two ways that could go. It could be an umpire with uh, an earpiece, and every single call is is called electronically by this uh, system that they're testing in the minors again. Um, the other way is that the umpire continues to call balls and strikes and then managers in, um, in both dugouts have three challenges to balls and strikes. And then it would be that, that way kind of a replay system on, on bad balls and strikes calls. I have a feeling that that's the system that will be introduced first, but we could see an entirely electronic means of calling balls and strikes down the road, because I think that's something that Manfred is also very intrigued by. That also saves time. It's more efficient. Um, Of course you have the old time, you know, of baseball saying, yeah, but it's a lot of fun to see managers running out, you know, uh, arguing balls and strikes, getting thrown out, players arguing. It takes that element out of the game, and, that, and that's true. So that's the argument against it, obviously. You well, know, one you, of
1: them. You talked about the players. To me, the hardest job for a commissioner is having a relationship with the players and getting the players to trust you. You need to implement what you believe is the best for the game And sometimes that isn't something the players want, such as the pitch clock. A lot of pitchers are saying that it will cause injuries if they have to rush their pitching. What is Manfred doing to build the relationship? Because he has had a rocky relationship at the beginning with the players.
2: Yeah, he's had a very, very bad relationship with the players. Players have been outspoken about his uh, tenure as commissioner during uh, the pandemic in 2020, you know that 60-game shortened season. There's all sorts of critical comments made by Max Scherzer. All sorts of players were uh, outspoken uh, against Manfred. It happened again during the lockout. Manfred chalks that up to a tactical. Uh, kind of response to his leadership that he says is led by the union and is encouraged by the union. Um, I had, uh, Tony Clark, the head of the players union quoted in my story saying that's nonsense. Players have their own views of Manfred based on his record and things that they don't like, uh, on, um, selling the pitch clock in particular, the players Manfred is in the midst of a, uh, 30 team, uh, listening tour as for lack of a better term where he's visiting every clubhouse in major league baseball i think he's already visited about half of them i know a little over a week ago he was in san diego and oakland and visited with four teams out there um and he's answering questions and he's trying uh as he did with me to you know sit down explain his vision for the game how important he thinks the pitch clock is to growing the game to trying to bring Younger fans um, appeal to them and shave time off the game and everything else. And from what I understand, you know, he's he's joined by Ra- Raul Abanez, who is now a consultant. Uh, or actually, he's an executive vice president for MLB. And uh, and I, I asked Abanez about how it's going, and he said it's going really, really well that, you know, players have a a, a sort of perspective about Manfred and um, that, that he undermines by just kind of, being who he is and who I saw you know down to earth guy who projects the fact that he really wants what's best for the game, uh, but it's a hard sell because, as you say, pitchers there's a lot of pitchers, particularly veteran pitchers that are against the pitch clock, and you know any purist um, is against it baseball the one of the great things we all love about baseball right there's no clock it, and and now suddenly there will be one that will govern every single pitch. And so it's, it's a radical change. It's a revolutionary change. Um, Manfred says that in, they have data, and he shared, he shared some of it, and some of his executives shared it with me, that show that players in the minor leagues, you know, they don't like it at first, but they come around to it, um, that it's not as obtrusive as you think, and it really does help the pace of play. Fans enjoy it. Uh, players, managers uh, generally, um, adapt to it and, and think it's a good change. And so that's the hope is that major league, uh, players will, uh, will think of it the same way because it's coming guys. We're going to see it next year.
0: You know, at that stop in Oakland, yeah. he would have been able to find a couple seats in the, in the crowd to to sit out there. You asked him about the 2000 people in attendance at a game, but then he also talked to you about how if he's doing a tour of baseball, he wants it to be 32 teams rather than 30 teams for expansion you talk about the economic situation of baseball between Oakland and their situation, and the commissioner's desire to expand the league more.
2: Well, that's a great question, and you know we did we did talk about that. First of all, you know baseball lost money um, during the pandemic. They had two seasons where it's you know it, it was very very bad for the owners. Um, but having said that. Baseball still, business is still really good. It was an $8 billion a year industry when Manfred became commissioner in 2015. It's now a $10 billion a year industry. Even more important to the owners is the valuations of the teams have quadrupled in the last decade, uh, more than quadrupled. Um, and you have billionaires, a lot more billionaires exist in 2022 than existed just 10 years ago. They want in. Some of these billionaires want to buy in and and get into the exclusive club. And so Manfred told me flatly he wants to get to 32 teams. And yet you have a number of franchises struggling. It's not just Oakland, right? It's Tampa, Miami, attendance even in a place like Pittsburgh with PNC Bank. You know, it's one of the great ballparks in America. And they can't draw people to watch the Pirates in Pittsburgh. So it's a it's a good question and one that Manfred really didn't answer satisfactorily. I felt. I mean, he said he wants more teams, and clearly there is a demand there. But you've got the situation in Oakland with a horrible ballpark. You know, only a couple thousand people some nights showing up to watch the A's. It looks like they may uh, move to Las Vegas. So you know, I've seen a lot of commentary since my story came out on social media among fans, and I've heard like, well, wait a minute. If anything, there's too many teams. Um, you know, and and yet Manfred is. Uh, I think I, I think he wants the, he wants expansion, and I think it's another thing that we're going to see.
1: Don, one of the things uh, that that we appreciate about your stories is the length you go to and how long it takes to put those stories together. From from this kind of story to to the other the other projects that you have on ESPN and elsewhere, how hard is it? to be patient with a story like this. You didn't do this over a course of days or, or weeks. This is a long story to put together. Are there points at which you get impatient and just want to get it out?
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, yes, you get very, very impatient. Um, in October, um, when I spent two and a half hours with Manfred in his office uh, during the playoffs, it was in mid-October, he said a bunch of things that you know were newsworthy. Um, about the pitch clock and about his desire for that. And, you know, we were going to possibly try to rush the story um, before the lockout. There was some thought about that. But I still had a lot more work to do and other reporting. I mean, if you read the story carefully, you see I talked to owners and executives, former executives, players, agents. Um, I had a lot more work to do. And then I also got off on a Dallas Cowboys investigation. Uh, involving a voyeurism scandal with the cheerleaders it was published in February. So I was busy with other work during the lockout, but yeah, as a journalist, it is frustrating at times when you're on these lengthy stories and you're kind of sitting on news and you're worried that it's going to bubble up in some other way and you'll lose some of the exclusivity that you have. I mean, I, with Manfred, the one thing I knew is he wasn't talking to anybody else. Um, it, you know, he did a couple of brief, uh, press availabilities on opening day, but really only spoke very generally about things. Um, I know that Bob Costas and a number of other people were trying to get exclusive interviews with him while he was talking to me, and, and he was good to his word. He, he didn't do anything except with me um, until the story was published this week, and so I had a little bit of comfort with that. But um, look, it's a great luxury, guys. There's not many journalists given so much time and so many resources to do a story like this and so i feel very grateful that espn still makes the investment in this kind of work um you know giving me so much time and and i'm really grateful to the commissioner and all of his his top executives i mean the deputy commissioner dan halem morgan sword who's the executive vice president for operations all the people around manfred also gave me a ton of time um and and uh, resources and sat for lengthy interviews as well for this story theo epstein a consultant. Obviously, the former GM of the Cubs and Red Sox, he gave me several lengthy interviews about um, the the rules changes and how important they are. And if you read the story, you see there's a whole chapter kind of built around those interviews with Theo Epstein. So um, I'm very, very lucky. But yes, at times I can't complain too loudly, guys, because it's a great gig to be able to dig in this deeply into a story like this.
0: Well, we all benefit from you getting the resources and support so we can read that story. Encourage everybody to read it in full at ESPN.com. Check out the video, of the interview. Don, thanks for always giving us some time to explain it all and uh, walk through things. You have a wonderful holiday weekend.
2: Thank you, guys. You too. It's always a pleasure to speak with both of you. Enjoy your weekend.
0: Jeff, what a... Ind- I mean, there were more things in that story that we couldn't even get to.
1: Yeah, I just – it's so hard. I could not be a reporter where you get – if you get something and you know you got to go months before you can tell that story.
0: You can't even keep an opinion to
1: yourself before we go on the air, you share it with. Hey, hey, (laughs)
0: hey. I mean there was more in there though. I guess
1: I invited that. That we
0: didn't didn't get to in terms of – when you talk about shortening the game, he is not in favor at all of going to a seven-inning game. He wants to keep it at nine innings of baseball. So the, Why? I don't know. That's what he said. He's, he's, oh, I know. I,
1: I, I'm just saying why. Well, why do I because, think?
0: Because he doesn't want to be seen as a hater. That's what came across to me in the interview. Look, you and I both know we've worked with public officials, people who get lots of attention on them regularly. Mm-hmm. When your ears are up and you're listening to what other people say, you don't make th- decisions that are in the best interest of what you're doing. I'm not saying don't take advice, mm-hmm. but you need to kind of block out that criticism. And he doesn't seem like he's able to do that, he at least from his thin reactions.
1: skin. But if you look at the, the way that I compare him is Gary Bettman. Gary Bettman learned at the foot of David Stern for a long time. He had major missteps when he got to the NHL. He had major faux pas in the things that he said. It, it, to me, there's a, almost a pattern that seems that it gets repeated even if you try not to repeat it because of the people that they put in that office. Like as I was listening to Don's and reading Don's story and then talking to him today, the thing that comes across to me is Manfred is now in this position. He may be legally co- qualified to be in this position, but when public relations is a large part of what you're doing – he's not skilled at that nor should he be he's There's also a, not comfortable exactly so uh, and I, but then i hear names like like for us raul, raul abanya yeah your ears perked up when you yeah, heard the yeah because he's going been working you know he turned down the uh, the possibility of of managing teams and you kind of you don't hear about him but he is slowly becoming a leader theo epstein also he's now in that position of kind of consulting and you wonder if he's being groomed Those two individuals are people that kind of grew up in the spotlight. They're used to being out there. They know how to talk to the media and to the fans and also have the smarts to do it. I just don't know if Manfred can grow into that. Lots of people have. So you want to give them the benefit of the doubt. But one of the things about him versus other commissioners is there is this venom towards him when when you've talked to the baseball players. Yes, they went through a potential strike and a lockout and all that stuff, but there, there was less, this increased venom even after it was over. It wasn't, okay, let's put it behind us and do what's best for the game. It was Rob Manfred doesn't care about us. When
0: you asked that question, I found it interesting because in the interview, Don asked him, what does he want his legacy to be? And he says that he wants his legacy to be that he left behind a better relationship between the owners and players. Okay. And if so, you didn't ask it, I was going to ask if he'd done that because it doesn't seem like it at
1: all. Yeah, but see, that's a problem. If, if you want your legacy, that people like you, I'm telling you, you will never succeed. It gets back to he doesn't like se- people
0: saying he hates baseball. He seems to take that criticism personally. And when you're in the position that he's in, you can't. That's not to say you're not human and you don't get upset by it, but you have to learn to set that aside and make the best decision regardless.
1: It's also He's, silly. Think he, about think about it. if so, you're in charge of the game of baseball, if somebody says to you and you're in charge, you hate that which you are protecting. It's absurd. It's it's so he should. E- that's an easy one. That's a softball, cheating, not a baseball. The
0: cheating was an easy answer. Would it have deterred more? Who knows? We did what we thought was right. We did what we thought was right here. You well, don't no, get that, defensive. If, if you, you want to be
1: the conspiracy theorist on that one, what did we hear Don say? He grew up as a Yankee fan.
0: Yeah. the Yankee,
1: Yankees got a slap on the wrist. He admits the in Astros. the interview
0: that he writes he watches more Mets and Yankees games. But it was it's funny. I'm I'm glad you brought that up because he literally when he asked him, do well, you Well is watch- that a
1: strike against him if he watches lots of Mets and Yankees games? <laughs>
0: to other fans in different places it is. But when he asks him if he watches baseball, Not you can see just so him doing clear. the calculation in his head. He's like, Well, I watch it four nights a week and that means that I watch four hours at night and then I'm watching it in the afternoon. And I'm just like,
1: Yes, you watch baseball. Why is that hard? Did that, uh, you know, I don't like to talk politics on the show, but did that remind you of another answer? Yes. It was, it was the Sarah Palin response.
0: I have dealt with people in politics for 20 years that have given responses like that. There are simple answers to questions and your unwillingness to take one step back and be self-deprecating rather than one step forward and be defensive while trying to do it means that you step in it again. And that's why he continues to have these verbal gaffes. Because he gets offended as opposed to just being
1: an adult and dealing with
0: the criticisms he gets.
1: All right. Well, can we talk about one thing that you kind of touched on a little bit with that, which is the, the pace of play and the length of games? Mm-hmm. As somebody who attended a three-hour-plus game yesterday, mm-hmm. first of all, it was a blast because the Phillies well, scored they, the they, most runs like they've scored this season. And we could talk about Derek Hall you know, after the break. But— to me, see, look, you know me. You know me. I'll sit there and I'll watch it because I love the whole atmosphere of it. I love the people that I go with through it. I, everything about it. The game ended despite no it being as long as it was, and me going, "Oh, it's over." Yeah, I, I didn't even realize that. I thought that shows you're you. not
0: the fan they're worried about, though.
1: I know, but if you're gonna, so if you're gonna do something, see, I'm, I'm the person that's supposed to be saying you need to protect the nine innings and stuff. And and you have often said to me over the last over half a decade, I'm the get off God, my lawn guy, been right?
0: With each other for a long time. Exactly. Besides my wife, you're but, like my longest relationship I have.
1: Okay. Does well, that make you feel? We, we need to have another disclaimer <laughs> <laughs> get ready for after the commercial. Um, but even I'm saying, why not consider it seven innings? Why not do the pitch clock? Why not if it's if. The people that aren't going to sit through it and don't just go for the love of the game and go for the love of the atmosphere and the people you're with and the, just the whole experience, why not change it? I know the, the old school person is going to say statistics. Statistics are all skewed now anyway. They change the baseball from year to year. They change every rule. They've changed the size of the mound. They change lots of things. None of that matters anymore. I think that the statistic – no longer matters as much in baseball anymore because of Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. Now that that record has been bastardized, it no longer matters. All these statistics don't matter. So now's the time to do what you need to do to bring in more people instead of is, continuing to lose people. Is that opinion shared by other people who have the opinion of the Who have ones of, that they want people to get off of? I, I was
0: trying to be gentle.
1: <laughs> I was not trying to go Why there. start now? <laughs> well, you know, I have to Why
0: learn. start on Bobby Bonilla Day? I, I have to learn at some point better better now than never. I mean, is that,
1: I don't think. The, does Hallmark had a card for that yet?
0: I don't think that your opinion is the majority of people I know. In, in your section of the fan base. Like okay, go <laughs> ahead.
1: What does that mean? What? My section of the fan base?
0: The fan base that's a more traditional Old people? Base. Is that
1: where you're going with this? No,
0: there's plenty of young people that are traditionalists <laughs> that like to keep score. That Like, like that's something that's passed on from parents to kids. I never got that. I watched the game, but I never scored I was was I
1: wasn't a scoring I, person either, but you've seen our, not, our former miniature producer guy, and he used to keep score yeah, at all the games. Yeah, like, I was not, but I loved the home
0: runs, because I came up in that era of baseball. I told mm-hmm. you, I came up in Chicks Dig the Long Ball, and... Like that type of stuff. And that was the other thing. That's where, why
1: you hit all those home runs in Little League, huh? <laughs> no, I never
0: hit home runs in <laughs> Little League. But that was why it, Manfred also came across as defensive about the steroids, you know, sort of saying that there's nothing baseball can do, which is the same tact that Seelig took. And I just wonder if it's he was under Seelig for so long that that's all he knows is to react Oh, that's it's clear.
1: That and, and, and because he's beholden to him, because he learned from him he's going to protect that legacy in those words. So he you're right, he's too close to the situation. At some point they have to just not be defensive about it because it doesn't do any good to be defensive about it. But they've ne- it. they've
0: never stopped being defensive. Seelig was defensive yeah, when well he in 2018, he was still defensive about steroids.
1: He was still defensive they, about but the cheating. But they 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 need to stop because there nobody's nobody who's continuing to ask the questions ever going to be satisfied, right? No. So so why bother?
0: Well, that's the thing. At some point, you just have to accept it and move on, and baseball's not willing to. They won't embrace their past because they're embarrassed by it, but they didn't do anything to stop it when it happened.
1: They should all just follow the advice of Kramer, Serenity Now.
0: Let's go to break. When we come back, we'll talk more Phillies, Sixers, everything else. Stick with us.
1: Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the engineer's labor employer cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local
2: 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work.
0: All right, Jeff. We're back from the break. We both saw Phillies games this week. I saw a loss that was not near as exciting as yours. You saw a win,
1: but you saw the win through the eyes of somebody other than yourself, which I thought was cool. Tell me about it. Yeah. I mean, look, we did a show for years with the Phillies minor league teams and we're kind of getting it because of the pandemic. We stopped doing that particular show, but we're kind of getting to the end of almost our kids. You know what I mean? Like, like these are guys that we've known since their first days after being drafted from when they were 18 years old. You sent me old. a picture earlier
0: today. It's four years ago today. You uh, don't don't say. Yeah. You did, <laughs> four
1: years ago today, you did an interview. and Actually, we did we did several interviews. The, the, the day you're talking about was Matt Vierling, and it was Alec Bowman, and it was Pat Borders, who was obviously the most entertaining of them. Yeah. Um, but he was the older guy. But... You look back and, and you, you watch these guys go through the struggles that they went through from the time they were drafted to eating at the the training table, if you want to call it what they were eating back then to the fact that they tell stories about how they're sleeping in a garage, seven of them. And, Air mattresses. And yeah, mattresses. and, the, and the, we talked to them about the bus rides and, and their parents seeing them in their first professional games. And we've talked to them Choosing about- Choosing their
0: walk-up music
1: for that yeah, first time. And, what it'll be like when you get the call-up. Yeah, and, and all of all of those things that make baseball special and sports special to us. And, and yesterday I got to see Derek Hall who has been in the minors for quite a while, um, and who has pushed his way all worked his way hard all the way up? And we used to talk about uh, with Reese Hoskins here is I think we might have asked somebody this season. Mm-hmm. I can't remember who it was. What are they going to do with him? How hard is I think we asked Ventola. How hard is it for somebody like Derek to do this day after day, knowing that he's blocked yes, Jonathan Mayo
0: too. Yeah, and and,
1: and he's working because he thought you know he'll be a trade chip. And instead, he, with the organization that drafted him, he got to come up and his first hit in the major leagues was a home run. His second hit in the major leagues in the same game was another home run. And, and you get to see the way that people react to that. And you get to see the family members are there and, and the way that he handles it. And you know we've seen that struggle. And to me, that's the beauty of why we do what we do. And you were there with somebody who wasn't a real baseball fan
0: all the time. I guess. Yeah,
1: well, that, that's 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 the thing about it is is that when you go with people who just like to go for the social experience of it, like like the friends that I go with, some of them are baseball people and some of them are. We all just the bonding of it is is that it's just a great day. You're outside, the sun's shining. You're watching a game. You're drinking something. You're eating something, and you're just talking. And and when you see through the eyes of both of them. What, what ends up happening is you find out everybody has that common experience at the end of it when you see a story like that. Mark Appel was the same way. This guy was the first player drafted a decade ago. He was supposed to be a star. At one point, he gave up the game. He came back. He busted it with the Phillies in the minor leagues. And what happened this week? He makes his major league debut, finally, after a decade.
0: Pitching a scoreless inning.
1: Yeah. It's... it's the Phillies have had so many feel-good stories just this week. Now, look, fans will say,
0: I don't want feel-good stories. I want winning. I, I mean, do. These, I want feel-good I stories. I want both. I want winning, but I, I like the journey, and I and I like uh, that we've been able to talk to some of these guys along the way and really hear their sacrifice and, and their struggles and then see them come up.
1: How many teams are there in the major leagues? 30. Okay. How many win the World Series? About to be 32. How, how many win the World Series? One. Right. And so, and so you enjoy the journey because the likelihood that your team's winning the World Series, especially this year when the Yankees are going to win 162 games or close to it, enjoy the journey. It's not like the Phillies stink. Well, so much They're still happened, in playoff contention.
0: Even in a week, when we were last on the air, I was telling you I didn't want Bryce Harper to play in the All-Star game because his elbow you was You got sore. your wish.
1: Thanks a lot. <laughs> and, and this now, may be
0: your fault. And then I'm watching the game, and you knew when he was hit that something was wrong. He knew he, you from his reaction. He knew. he knew the second that it happened. And, and
1: by the way, just as another, you know, years ago, I used to just rail on Bryce Harper, and and having seen him up close the way we have over the last few years, I've told you how much my opinion of him has changed. Even when that happened, what he was yelling, I know it to wasn't the, your fault. Yeah, but what he was yelling to the pitcher was, I know it wasn't your fault. Yep. but it hurts. I knew the guy and they talked immediately after the game. They've been playing with each other since like little league or something like that. But he like he, him. he truly has matured into class. I mean, like the class of the league. Do you, do you feel like this team can
0: stay playing the baseball they did in June? They went 19 and 8. They're now uh You know, when they started the month, they were 21 and 29. They were 12 and a half games back with Joe Girardi as their manager. They finished the month at 40 and 37 uh, after, like I said, 19 and 8 month. Can they keep it going without Bryce Harper,
1: without Gene Segura, with these young guys? It depends. Is somebody going to continue to keep a calendar up that says June so Kyle Schwarber doesn't think that it's July. Rob Thompson joked after the game that yesterday that tomorrow is June thirty first. <laughs> <laughs> and for those that don't his, know, Kyle Schwerber has a career month every single
0: June. he, he finished with twelve homers and twenty seven RBIs this June. Last June he had sixteen homers and thirty RBIs. I mean he's been on fire. Can he keep that going? What was
1: his July like yes last year? I don't know. I didn't look oh. it up. I hope it was
0: better than you know.
1: Just don't tell him
0: uh, Castellanos trying to come out of it a little bit hit a home run yesterday run homer. he's he's struggled you know, ever since he got Ben Simmons' house, man, it just hasn't gone well. All
1: right. Yeah, th- you know, that was that was the biggest struggle for a segue I've seen. So go ahead. Go to the Nets. Well, Ben Simmons is all that's left there at this point. Everybody wants out. Well, when he was here. Didn't he want a team that was his
0: team? He's got it now. He's got it. It's, it's just him. The best part was he put out something on Instagram right before the trade with him, like, sitting all like, it's just him in the chair. And then all of a sudden... Durant says he wants out. Kyrie now wants out. Last man out, turn out the lights in Brooklyn, it seems like.
1: Poor is poor Seth Curry.
0: <sighs> Look, the NBA is just bonkers right now. Like, not just the Sixers. So Durant wants a trade. All right, where do you want to start, the NBA or the Sixers? There's so much news out there. Which which side do you want oh, to go well, I mean, away? we
1: could do the NBA, but this this whole episode is going to be outdated this, literally the second we say something.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, we're, we're coming on the air, and Rudy Gobert gets traded from the Jazz to Minnesota for like half of Minnesota. Yeah. Carl Anthony Towns just became a power forward. <laughs> They're the Twin Towers there now. Uh, John Wald went, is with the Clippers
1: now. Yeah, that doesn't. I mean, who cares at this point? I, I mean. What's, it, the big move. Let's hope all the good moves are out west. And then it clears a path for the look, Sixers. I,
0: I thought that the Celtics getting Brogdon from Indiana, Indiana for bucket of basketballs, five guys who other than Frederick Tyson, didn't really do anything on the Celtics well, last year. Well, the
1: Celtics last year, their big problem was they didn't have a distributor. Marcus Smart is a great defender, but he is not a distributor. Now they have a point guard.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're a team that's gotten better. If, if I'm, you know, we're watching, we were talking before we got in the studio, what's going on in Utah. And if I'm Miami, I'm, I'm looking out to see if I can get Donovan Mitchell, Donovan Mitchell mm-hmm. out, of, out of there. You know, we'll see. What else? Phoenix seems to be want to be but, making but moves. If you're,
1: but if you're Utah, what are you going to get from Miami? Are you buying into Tyler Heros that good after watching what happened at the end of the season? I'm do, not. Are they going to take on Duncan Robinson as much as I love Duncan Robinson because of his, his alma mater? Do I really want Duncan Robinson in his 70 or $80 million contract so he can shoot threes? I'm not buying into it, but if they're
0: blowing it up, which they could. Could be. I Who, mean, Utah or Utah, Miami? Utah. Okay. Then they're not
1: you know, going to take pennies on the dollar. They want draft picks.
0: They don't, they don't care about players. They'll want draft picks. If they're not going to win right now, they don't need a star back. And, you know, if they're just turning it over, they traded their, their starting center so for how many, a first round pick yesterday to Brooklyn. For so, Nigeria. how many
1: teams are going are to be in the tanking sweepstakes for the guy whose name I can't pronounce? Who? There, there is a guy coming out next year. Next year, I can't pronounce. It starts with a W. Who, who is? I think from France. Um Who's Probably coming a out? Lot of, a lot of people. The,
0: but the Spurs. I think a lot of people are going to try and get. And Durant. congratulations,
1: Brett Brown. He's back. He's going to end up being the head coach of the Spurs. You right. Watch. Yeah. He's going. He's going to end up. I mean, up being, come on. Who didn't think that the second that they announced they brought him back?
0: Yeah. He's all right. So now that we're back on on Sixers world. So the team is... We got 37-year-old P.J. Tucker. We have P.J. Tucker, three-year, $33 million mid-level. Where's Eric exemption. Gordon? Well, we're basically developing the Philadelphia Rockets, it right. appears. Uh, we got Daniel House. Uh, we got Treble and Queen. Uh, looks like he's... Who? Uh, he was a G League MVP last year with the oh, Rio thank Grand Valley
1: Vipers. Just what we need another G League star. Well, you know, Paul Reed was a G League star.
0: I'm sure that he'll get as much playing time as Paul Reed and Jaden Springer. Okay, you know, it's again. I've made my opinion for your sake next year. Springer better
1: get enough minutes that they sell his jersey. I have made
0: my opinion clear that as long as Doc is the coach, nobody under the age of 25 is going to do anything without some massive injury or some holdout.
1: Are so people listening to the show are actually giving me a hard time because I don't speak French.
0: (laughs) You barely speak English. What are you talking (laughs) exactly?
1: Come on, man. All right.
0: So are you, is, is the NBA going to settle down? They sent like a, a billion dollars in a day and a half. Are we just going to see more opting out of moves? I mean, you said, why would the Lakers, you know, why would the Lakers do Kyrie? Why would the Brooklyn take back Russell Westbrook? Where is this all going? I mean, are we just playing musical chairs with superstars?
1: I don't know, but isn't it great for the NBA? They've become this the is, NFL. This is, this there is, there's is dead, an off season. Yeah, this is their dead period, and look what the, look what's going on.
0: Isn't this what every league wants, though, to constantly be at the top of the conversation no matter when your, your league is going? Like, you, you want people to be talking, and not for bad things, but you want them to be talking about this. Now, I think there's something to be said for players staying in place so that fans can actually, you
1: know, like them. But Think of how many players and how many teams now are now, there's hope. So instead of there being five or six teams that are the teams to beat, right now, it may end in four days, but right now, there's a whole bunch of teams that it's like spring training in baseball. Is there, because nobody knows who's going to be on their team right, this year. Tell me then, what's the hope level here in Philadelphia? <laughs> I can't say it with a straight face. I don't know. I do You want me to say something about all these Houston, former Houston Rockets? I can't do that. I cannot get excited about 37-year-old P.J. Tucker. He'll be here for three years, I just can't. Oh, I'm not going to be that excited about 40-year-old P.J. Tucker either. I mean, look, it's well known that that I did not renew my Sixers season tickets for lots of reasons, including how poor they are at treating their season ticket holders. But... I don't get what the Sixers are doing because I have a bad feeling at the end of this. Tobias Harris is going to get traded for something that's not as good as Tobias Harris. It finally is. We are finally at a point where he found a role. He became somewhat of the leader in the playoffs. When all the other guys were hurt, he was the guy leading the team and keeping them in it. He is... An answer if they want to just all play together. Think about it. The Sixers lost in the playoffs because Joel Embiid had a broken face and a broken hand, and James Harden was not in shape. And I'll be—that's as far as I'll go. Was he
0: on the court in the game? Who? James Harden? Did he play? Yeah, he didn't do very much.
1: Exactly. Very short. So imagine if this team stays together as it was healthy without broken faces and fingers. Hasn't that it, always
0: been the thing? Imagine if I, this team stays yeah, together. Yeah, okay. Well, we can healthy.
1: we can cue up the John Lennon music at some point if you want. <laughs> but what, what nope, we need to do violation. is- I you know. won't let me do that. <laughs> See that? After all these years, you finally learned. I'm so proud of you. I figured it out. I you can't play fi- anything you fun. F- you finally have graduated. Yep. I'm all good now. <laughs> we, Speaking of- we, we can now retire. Yeah.
0: Speaking of graduation. Although we haven't gotten Mookie Wilson yet. Speaking of graduation. Yes. Uh, will the UCLA and USC fans be attending
1: the big house in Michigan? You really need me to bring you want me to just yell? I
0: yes, mean, like, I
1: do. This I, is ridiculous. I look, I'm excited to go out to California
0: when Rutgers plays to watch them get their their
1: yeah, but kicked, the problem right? is the USC and UCLA people don't know where Piscataway is, so it, it's kind of a problem for you. In fairness, some people in Jersey don't know where Biscaway is either. <laughs> are are you not concerned and I'm being serious about this? I am and I not, say that as a this Rutgers isn't, grad. This is not my normal Rutgers shot. This is this is a question for you. Did you not have a reaction that teams could get kicked out of the Big Ten? No, I think it's all about television markets and they want the New York market. I don't I don't Do think Do you that really the, think after yes. all these years Rutgers is add is adding that many eyes to television?
0: No, but I think that they still want to be in the region. And the only two teams in the region on the East Coast, when I send you that map, they don't have Syracuse right now. They have Maryland and Rutgers.
1: But but if they wanted to
0: do that, they could get Syracuse, right? They're in the ACC right now. I don't know if they want to do that. There won't be an ACC in the next 12 months. So we're moving to two super conferences, aren't we?
1: Yeah, and, and here... you. The get off my lawn guy is now coming So the back. big 10 is going to be like big 50 and like... Well, it'll still be called the big 10. <laughs> that's that's the absurdity. But the biggest absurdity of this is the thing that we talk about most is is student athletes. I mean, you sent me something before <laughs> about, you know, this is being done for the student athlete.
0: How you, many statements have I written for people where you put the fluff in there and you say it? And right. I just this, can't. I couldn't even read it with a straight face that the first thing they said in the UCLA statement
1: was about, this just, is the best for the student athlete. Just please don't do that. I mean, what's the point? Are you telling me that the fencing team from USC needs to get on a flight to go to Ann Arbor? I mean... No, they have to come to Piscataway. Do you have a fencing team? Sure. Yeah, Quite, we quite frankly, I don't even know if Michigan has a fencing team, but other than football and basketball how are they going i know that uh, how are they going to afford this Doctors i know has the has a fencing club the the uh, so it's only club level i'm sorry um the problem is even though it's 100 million dollars by the way i can say that you just gave me <laughs> a finger <laughs> that, but if we had the video going then the, then w- the
0: disclaimer would I finally have done be it appropriate if we had the video going I know. so if you didn't share it on the air nobody would know about it and we wouldn't get
1: a warning so, from anybody so the disclaimer was was for me.
0: So you hate this move to consolidation, super conferences?
1: I hate it. I hate all of it. But that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It doesn't you mean hate it's not Do you hate it because right.
0: you're get off my lawn guy or do you hate it because it's bad for college football?
1: Yes. <laughs> <How sad. laughs> of course I do. Well, I, thi- well I just think the whole thing is ridiculous because cause I think the difference between college sports, especially college football and pro football, is rivalries. That's what makes it special. That's what gives you the passion that they have in fans is, is this deep hatred and yet respect for teams that are rivals to each other. Uh, I have grown up. I have lived the last few decades of my life despising everything Columbus, Ohio. So the you and, don't hate you don't hate the Scarlet Rutgers uh, team no, as much as you know that I, I care less. Oh man, the, get into it, it! The only benefit for every but all of my fellow Michigan alumni who live on the East Coast. We're only happy Rutgers is in it because it means we get to go to a game and don't have to get on a plane. See, and I thought you were going to say you knew you were guaranteed to a win, so that was well, a change. Well, that is from true. There, what you would have said in past as years. somebody who went to the seventy-seven to nothing game, and <laughs> and I believe texted, <laughs> texted you every me. single time they scored until my phone ran out of battery. Yeah, that was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> But why, why are we at a point now that this is a good thing for student-athletes? It's not. It's because the Big Ten 100 going to get $100 million per school. I still don't understand the Olympic part of this. Do you? Because that was another thing that was said within the last 24 hours, that somehow this was going to help their Olympic pro, sport programs. Why? Why? All right, now you're stretching. That That's a bit much. Now they're stretching? Yeah. Well, the, they've been the, – The port – what do we care about? I mean – we are now, this will what do we, be- What do we care about or what do they care about? They care about generating
0: athletes and making money. Okay,
1: yeah. so that's it. This, this is the, is this the final nail in the coffin of, and I, I'm holding up air quotes, I'm not giving you the finger as you did to me. Um, is this the end of amateurism? I thought amateurism ended with NIL. I thought it was already dead. Well, no, because that was only in a couple sports. I. I this think is that, everything now. I think that once Except you- Except for Notre Dame, but-
0: Look, I think it wasn't amateurism all along, frankly. No, but we—it's just a way for you to make money while not giving people the benefits of all the work they put in.
1: But a lot of people kind of lived in this fantasy that there still could be amateur sports. Look, I loved watching
0: it. I'm as guilty as everybody else. But if we're going to be honest about it, was it wasn't amateurism? They called it amateurism. Yeah. They took advantage of people for their labor and profited off it and didn't give them anything for it other than a scholarship and said that's good enough because you're getting more than somebody
1: else. All right, my turn to ask you a question. How fast does the rest of this group of dominoes fall? Because the college football playoff is next F- year. Fast. What's going to happen?
0: Fast, because you can't be left without a seat in musical chairs. So you saw already a report that Washington and Oregon are eyeing the Big Ten for admittance, right? So now
1: Rutgers can go what play about up Colorado? in Oregon. Well,
0: I, you're just speaking for well, yourself. Selfishly,
1: I'm just trying to figure out: Do I get to go see Michigan play in Boulder?
0: <laughs> that's all you. Really, well, that's n- all. Now, I care in about. fairness, Michigan
1: has bad memories of playing Colorado, so. <laughs> You, did you really have to say that? I did. I did. We'll, we'll leave it trash in Rutgers, right? Do we tell people exactly what happens? I Just very quickly, I went to Parents Weekend and they have a promo video because Colorado football stinks. So they show all of the highlights <laughs> from the history tell of their me how program, you really feel. from the history of their program, and they end with the <laughs> crescendo. Of Cordell Stewart's pass against Michigan. That's fantastic. And my kid did not (laughs) warn me that that was what I was in store for on, on Parents Weekend. That's amazing. I'm, I'm so amazing glad, for you. I'm so glad he didn't
0: say anything to you. I only wish he could have gotten video of you watching it where your face Don't dropped. we
1: have enough video of me humiliating we myself? We can never get enough video of you humiliating yourself. We have so much is, blackmail on each other.
0: Yeah, well it's not possible to to get any more incriminating things on each other doing stupid
1: things. Oh yeah, you you still have to play goalie for the Union. You did work that out with Jim Curtin. I you? did. It's coming. <laughs> not for the union, by oh, the way. No. Like, let people
0: take shots on me on a practice field. Oh, it's coming. They, I'm not competent mm-hmm. enough to be on the field. Union did suffer a loss the other night. That kind of sucked. But the young kids are powering the under-20 team. Did you see half the goals on the under-20 qualifying team for the World Cup? I know, came from but, the youth but, from
1: the- but see, this is the problem with soccer. I want them playing
0: on the union. I had a friend... I thought of you instantly. I have my my friend who's very big union fans after they had such success say they increased their value for being sold by so much. And I thought of you and I go, Jeff will hate that response. I I do.
1: (laughs) You dislike everything about the idea of growing people to sell them. Exactly. Okay. Now picture who was the Eagles first round pick this year. Wow. Oh, the, the, uh, the defensive here. lineman. Okay, now. Sorry,
0: Nakobe Dean kept popping in my head. But Here's what's
1: going to happen. The Eagles are going to groom him. Over mm-hmm. the next two years, he's going to make an all-pro team. He's going to be really good. And then the Eagles are going to announce that they're going to be able to sell him to uh, an NFL Europe team, assuming that existed. No, I wouldn't. Would like you be it. thrilled
0: by it? No, I so wouldn't. So how like it. is this okay? So, okay, traditional soccer fans who watch European leagues seem to understand the sale of players more than American soccer fans who haven't watched European leagues. Who watch American sports leagues where you don't sell a player for money generally. So, so
1: here's what you do you cut down the the year, the soccer year in MLS so that it doesn't conflict with all of this stuff. The MLS goes on for so long that it, it conflicts with all, the U-20 and the World Cup you know, and and, and uh, you the just, North American one. It, it just it never ends. And so the guys that I want to go see in Chester, I don't get to see.
0: Well, you take it up with Jim Curtin. We'll leave it there. Everybody have a safe holiday weekend. Enjoy your 4th of July. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.